Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. A few fun facts about today's guest. The first one is when she started her PR firm, her first client was Sir James Dyson before he became a sir. The second is that she was the first female licensed boxing promoter in the UK um, and worked closely with somebody I was a big fan of as a kid, the amazing Chris Eubank. She's also been awarded an MBE by the Queen, no less, for her services to business and entrepreneurship. And finally, she has got the coolest fucking dog in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) please welcome to the Empire Builders podcast, Shah Osmond, MBE. Well, thank you very much, Nick. I mean, what an introduction. I I know. I'd I'd actually like prepared an introduction, which I never normally do. But I was like, I thought it it warranted it with your incredible backstory. Can we also add, though, that I'm actually not a twat? Because sometimes when people say that all out, I'm like, oh, my God, I sound like such a twat. Yeah, well, the thing is, if I say it, you don't sound like a twat. If you say it, a bit more difficult. So anyway, I did it all for you. Um, So look, the the reason um, that I've invited Char on the podcast, she's, as I've just explained, had such an incredible journey, has got an amazing story. There's so many things that I want to talk about, Char, with you. Um, Of course, I've learned a lot from you, um, and uh, we do a lot of work together. You've spoken a lot of my events. So, I love um, speaking at your events. Your events are great. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. We love, we love having you. So um, there's so many things we could talk about today. Um, but I want to start off with um, books. All right. Let's start off with books, shall we? Because, like, you, you've, uh, you've just literally, um, you just told me before we started recording, it's the 10th anniversary of your first book, which was called Stop Talking, Start Doing. And I think... The reason I want to talk books with you first is you didn't and haven't done what most people do when they write a book, which is, you know, game the system to make it Amazon bestseller and then pretend that it was a success. Like you're legit mainstream on the shelves. By the way, I go on holiday, right? And to impress my kids, I I go into WH Smith. I go, you see that book there? I know her. Like that's my mate right there up in the top, top few books in like WH Smith and Waterstones and stuff like that. So let's talk books like how, because a lot of our audience, not everybody who listens to this podcast, but a lot of our audience, as you know, are coaches, speakers, experts, um, have written or are writing or would like to write a book. Um, I know this is something that, of course, you work with your clients on is um, how to write and then get published and all that kind of good stuff. But like, what advice would you give to someone who's either written a book and it's not really got any momentum or they're in that stage where they're about to start writing or publishing a book? All right. Well, first of all, obviously, I tell them to come do my program. But aside from that, aside from that, what I would say is. Firstly, it's a lot easier than you think. I I really do think that people overcomplicate it. So the first thing is to understand, like, what is the right publishing path for you? Like, do you want to go self-publish, which is what a lot of people do? And I totally understand the reason why. Because one, you have complete control. You have control over what you write, but also you have control over how long it's going to take to get your book out there into the public. And the reason why going self-publish or what I call hybrid publishing, where someone else, like, 
takes care of the cover design and the formatting because really no one wants to do that stuff. But you own 100% of the book, you take 100% of the royalties, but also you get to use that book for lead gen. Yeah. That is the path that I think 95% of entrepreneurs and small business owners and experts should actually pursue. And the, the other 5% should think about pitching to a traditional publisher like Penguin, Random House, those kind of big guys. And so the path that I chose was I wanted to go down the traditional path because like you said, I kind of wanted to write a book for book's sake, not actually for lead gen. That said, I can absolutely see a point in time, probably very soon, when I want to do both of those paths. And for me, a book gave me just the biggest credibility. And you are known for building experts. You are known for creating expert empires. The word expert is like associated with you. And it's interesting because... Over the summer, I was obviously I knew that my my the tenth anniversary of my first book was going to come out uh, in the new year in 2022. So I wanted to launch a book program to go along with it. Now, previously, we had called that book program "How to Create a Number One Bestseller," and it was great. We taught people how to create a number one bestseller on Amazon, but we also, for that five percent, taught them how to pitch their books to Penguin and Hay House. But actually, I took a step back and I realized that. It was literally maybe talking to me a bit much, right? That most people didn't necessarily want to create a number one bestseller. What most people wanted to do, they wanted to be seen as the expert in their field. So we changed the program and we changed the focus and we changed the content. And it's now called The Published Expert. How to get your book written, published and working for you. Because I think that is what your audience are about. Your audience, if they want to write a book, is because they want to be seen as the expert but they probably struggle with getting it written. They're not sure how to get it published. And really what they want from you or from me is how do I then use that book to, to generate leads, to increase my prices, to increase my profile, and to use it as a leverage. And so a bit of a long answer this one to your short question. But the reason I'm sharing all of this is because I think it's a shift on the emphasis from worrying about whether you're an Amazon number one bestseller or a Sunday Times bestseller. Um, I'm grateful I've been both, but actually it's really about how do you use it as a platform? And I think that this, I think it was our good friend, Daniel Priestley, who shared these with me, that 95% of entrepreneurs want to write a book, but only 5% end up doing it. And the reason is they think that they've got to sit at a screen and stare at a blank piece of, of paper or, or blank screen and start writing. Now, I think that when you go down that self-published route, there's such an easier way to do it. And the easier way to do it is to take something that you're passionate about, like what you teach in your workshop. So for you, Nick, it would be, you're an expert on masterminds. So you take some of the content when you're at your events talking about masterminds and you take that workshop and you put it through software and that software would transcribe everything that you were teaching. And then you put it through another piece of software that would tidy it all up, take out all the ums and the ahs and you'd end up with, okay, a long piece of content, but all you then need to do is edit it rather than write it. And you can pay someone to edit it. So something that might have previously taken you six to 12 months to do, you can do in six to 12 weeks. Hey, it's Nick here. We'll get back to the show in a moment. I just wanted to tell you about a brand new free training I've put together for you, all about how I went from zero to six figures, to seven figures, to multi seven figures 
in my business very, very quickly. So you can go and download that brand new free training at expertempires.com forward slash free training. Uh, and when you do that, you'll also be given the opportunity to book a free, no obligation strategy call with one of my team so they can help you individually plot your plan to growing your business from wherever it is right now, if it's zero to get to six figures fast, or if it's already at six figures to move it to seven figures or multi seven figures as quickly as possible. So go to expertempires.com forward slash free training. Yeah, and, and um, I don't think you know this, but I'm actually co-authoring um, at the moment. I haven't written a book and uh, I'm co-authoring uh, with one of my business partners, Matt Elwell, um, a book all about, I'm not going to tell the title because um, it's bloody good and I don't want to tell everyone the title because somebody might steal it. So, uh, yeah, I don't really know how to tell you the t- about the book without the title, but we're co we're, we're, it's about selling. There, there's the spoiler. It's about marketing and sales. There you go. Um, but that process has been really easy for me because we did exactly what you just said. We've, we've literally taken content I've already created, had it transcribed, and I've literally spent about an hour with the person who's putting it all together for me um, to do my section, and then Matt's done the same for his for his section as well. So I think I think you're right. It's it's a lot easier than people think. And, you know, getting expert guidance, whether that's doing your program or getting somebody else to work with on it, I think I think it's key. But the bottom line is it's a great tool for building your profile. And for us, really, it's it's lead generation. It's, you know, Matt's book, which is called Open With A Close, which has been out for about 18 months now. And we sold, I don't know, thousands, 10,000 plus copies. That, that really... Um, a very small number of them been sold through Amazon. That wasn't really the point. Um, the vast majority of the books have been sold through our website. And when somebody buys a book, they then get all the information about match training. And then when they come to the training, then they become a client. And that's that's how we built the business based on one book, essentially. So how much of an ROI do you think you've got from those 10,000 books? Well, um, very, very difficult to give you exact because Ross, of the fact. Like, do, you, do you think or, you've, you've sold 10,000 books and made 100,000? Well, put it this way. The business does over 100 grand a month. Um, and 95% of the leads come from the book. Now, of course, sometimes that's Facebook ads. Yeah. Sometimes it's exhibiting events or speaking. Sometimes it's joint ventures. Sometimes it's email campaigns. But ultimately, the thing that's the the consistent, uh, the the constant in all of that is the book. So, yeah, I mean, the amount of, um, in fairness to Matt, he put a lot of time and effort into that book the first time around. And then now we're doing this one together. He's realized actually it's unnecessary and we can we can shortcut it and just use existing content. So, yeah, but it's it's. um, I never, uh, as I said, I've never written a book, but ne- never um, put the time or the energy or the focus into it. But now, see, over the last 18 months, you know, we create, literally, we only started the business August 2018. He wrote the book in um, April 2020. Um, yeah. It published in April 2020. And then from that point on, last, what, 18 months, it's um, that's where the business went from, you know, doing okay to you yeah, know seven, seven figure business just from one piece of content it's crazy really and, and i love the fact that you talk about it because i'm 
I've used books at the other end, right? So I've used books to grow my profile so that I get seen as, you know, the, the go-to expert. And also for me, it's about the credibility. So two things that, that going to a traditional publisher gets you. It gets you massive credibility and it gets you more PR than I've ever had doing anything else, period. Like a book opens doors in ways that you just can't get without one. Yeah. But that said... Even if you self-publish or did hybrid publishing with, with, with your own book, it's still the best thing to send to people if you want to get on people's podcasts, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's absolutely, if you want to be seen as the go-to expert, the fact that you've written the book on the subject, I just, I just, I just would love to see people understand that as laborious as it might be for me, because I'm writing a book from scratch, literally going old school, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I think if you're doing it the way you've done it, which is to go like, traditional publishing house on the shelves of W.H. Smith, Waterstones, you know, like legit bestseller, then it can be quite laborious. But for 95% of us doing doing it the way that Matt did, that I did, where we just go, right, let's- And you make more money. That way makes more money than, than, (laughs) you know, my bougie way, right? So for me, I think it's a Directly makes more money, but indirectly, they're probably much of a muchness. You go, what you get from um, PR. The halo effect and the increase in your pricing and your profile. But probably the answer is you should do both. Both. 100%. It's never an or thing. It's an and thing because you go, well, ideally you do, you get the halo effect from being mainstream um, bestseller and then people go, oh my God, you're amazing. They pay you vast sums of money to um, speak on their stage or, or yep. to join your programs or to be on, or they beg you to be on their podcast. And you do the self-published route like me and Matt did and you get 10,000 copies sold, 10,000 leads into your business, you know, and you generate hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds in back end. So you can do both. You don't have to 100%. do one or the other. And I think that's, that's refreshing because generally speaking, you'll get the, this is the way, don't do that, or this is the way, don't do the other. So, yeah, we're not like that. You and I aren't like that, Nick. There is no one way for anyone, right? Of course, exactly. Let, let's um, let's talk podcasts quickly because, um, and of course, the two go hand in hand, I think, really, because yep. um, they're great credibility builders, great opportunities for you to add value to your audience, um, great way to build authority and positioning, and ultimately, you know, bring more people into your uh, into your community and therefore um, generate more more business. So um, your podcast is called Build a Bigger Table. That is right, isn't it? I want to make sure I got it. Building this. a bigger table, but yeah, it's the same. Building. Concept. You're in the process of building always. Yeah. Never done. Building. Exactly. Um, and you started that, when did you start that podcast? A year ago. Yeah, cool. So you and I, similar time, I think. I think mine yeah. was, look, I'm not, this isn't who who was first, but let's just say I was first. No, I'm kidding. Um, so uh, yeah, you, you started yours a few months after I started the Empire Builders podcast. Um, but again, uh, what I think is great is you and I took slightly different approaches. You you went because again, you probably already got the ability to do this. You, you went down um, like you got sponsorship straight out of the gate, right? Yeah. Like we we were we were almost eighteen months in before we got any sponsorship. So. Um, maybe just share a little bit about that for those that are thinking about starting a podcast or already run their own. So again, it's a bit like books. So just want to give a little bit of context behind this. So when I started building a bigger table podcast, I initially wanted it to be able to sit across the thing, a platform for me to talk about the things that I care about. We can pick up on that in a minute, like not just business, 
but I also wanted to bring in business. And as the podcast has progressed, I've got to be honest, I found it quite difficult to combine the two things into one podcast, a bit like the books, right? You can have one book for lead gen and one book for profile. So I'm actually in the process of putting together the plans for a second podcast. It will be purely focused on the business aspect called Unpacking the Business, where I will not just talk to like all the big names that we know about, but actually I want to talk to everyday businesses and not just online, but all different businesses, what's worked in their business, what hasn't worked in the business. Because sometimes I feel like not all of us get the same network that you and I have, Nick. Not all of us have WhatsApp groups that have like, oh, mate, like, 368 messages in them today. But I think... And by the way, from people who are highly influential and we can, you know, we can make things happen quite quickly and easily, right? Absolutely. And I think we share what happens in our business with each other, right? We share what happens, the good things, we share what happens, the bad things, so that we can all learn from each other. But most people don't have that. So I want to do a podcast that takes the concept of what we have and brings it online, makes it accessible to everyone. Because what I want to do with my Building a Bigger Table podcast is keep the emphasis on those high-level topics and conversations about the things that really matter to me. They'll always have a business entrepreneurial element to them. But this links into how I was able to get sponsorship. And the reason I was able to get sponsorship was because I had a really strong brand proposition with my podcast. I am passionate about leveling the playing field, whether that's uh, your, your race, your gender, or your socioeconomic background. These are the things that matter to me. So building a bigger table podcast is about exactly that. Building a bigger table together so that no one has to wait for a seat and no one ever has to ask for a seat. I mean, that's the kind of narrative, especially as women, that we've always had to come up against, especially in the boardroom, you're waiting for the seat or you're given a seat and you're you're the only one at the table. And, and, And my attitude is there's enough for all of us. I really believe in abundance and not in a necessarily hugely spiritual woo woo way, but in a real practical way. The the more we do, the more we create, the more there is to share. So we don't need to be worried about who's got a seat at the table and who hasn't. We just need to be worried about building a bigger table so that we all get a seat. And I think having a very strong brand proposition made it easy for me to get a sponsorship. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, who's the main sponsor, by the way? So Hotmart sponsored it initially, and we're now in talks, I don't know if I can say this, but with a very well-known a very well, how would I describe it? <laughs> how do you do it without giving it away? I to describe it, but a very well-known skincare company. There we go. Oh, we'll nice. nice. Yeah, and, and I think when the podcast isn't just information, when it stands for something, when it's got yeah. a message behind it that people can um, relate to and feel passionate about, it's much easier to, to gain sponsorship, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I think... Um, that's probably a perfect lead into um, actually the main thing I really want to speak to you about. I love the fact that you like you're very the opposite to what a lot of people um, advise. So like you know, never talk about politics if you know, or never talk about any of these subjects that are like a little bit you know, like you do not sit on the fence. Like you are the opposite of sitting on the fence. So you will you know, openly on social media, through your podcast, you will share your political views. You will share your views on certain key social issues. And I've always been really, you know, because you know me, know me a long time. I've always been very kind of like, I'll keep that to myself um, for, for, for various reasons. And um, actually the, the something that um, I think, you know, really hit me 
was um, probably what April May 2020, um, maybe June, um, when uh, you know George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, and and I just realised honestly for the first time ever that the reason I've been avoiding those conversations or that subject was because I didn't understand it as a white man. And I was scared of commenting and getting it wrong. And I spoke to a handful of people and you were one of the first people I phoned. And I went, look, I've just had a realization about this and I've avoided this topic for so long because I'm so scared of getting it wrong. And you and the other people that I spoke to said, yeah, Nick, but that's all you need to say for now. Yeah. You just need to say, you just need to own the reality yeah. for you, which is, I don't understand this. I'm a white man and I'm so scared of getting it wrong and offending somebody and damaging my reputation. I don't say anything, which, yeah. which I also get is just as bad. So like, uh, and I think what you do brilliantly is speak up on these subjects and these topics. It's, you know, it's very bold. It's very brave. It's what I call dynamic and daring. And it's, it's actually been a big part of you building your personal brand. Um, so yeah, just maybe share a little bit about your thinking on, um, on that, why you do openly, deliberately, intentionally comment on these issues. Um, and why do you think we all should? So firstly, I think the most important thing is to acknowledge that I, I am still a white female and therefore I still have white privilege. Uh, and, you know, I, I will never be able to understand what it is like to walk in somebody else's shoes other than my own. Um, but this isn't a new thing for me. This is something that I've been speaking about for 20 odd years. And I think that's the people who know me know that. And so I think somebody, you know, it's not it's not virtue signaling. That's the point. And, and by the way, there are a lot of people doing that shit. And that, that was another thing that was, I was a bit like, I don't want to be just commenting now because it's fashionable. It's correct. So then I was almost less likely to speak about things that were important and, and that were important to me. So yeah, I, I think that is important for context that like, yeah. this is not new for you. Um, no, and of course, you know, these issues have been a big part of your life for a very long time, as I'm sure you'll yeah. share. And I think that that is important. It's important to me as well. And it's all important to acknowledge that despite that, I'm still going to make mistakes. Like, I don't think that I have all the answers. I, I, you know, I'm not a white savior. I'm not here to provide the, all the answers. I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn as much as anyone else. But I am prepared to make mistakes in the process of that, right? So I'm brave enough to say it's important enough to me that I am prepared to put myself out there. And if I put a foot wrong, just give me some patience and steer me in the right direction. I'm a big believer, instead of calling people out, that we need to pull people in. Now, there are some occasions when people need to be called out. And you know me well enough to know that I'm not one to back down from a fight. In fact, quite the opposite. But I won't pick a fight unnecessarily, but I'm not going to back down from one either. So if somebody really needs to be called out, I don't have any problems doing that. But I don't think it's your go-to solution. Your go-to solution should be you, you want to pull people in. And my view has always been this, that, if we're talking about race issues, these issues have to be spoken about on white platforms because it is not the black community who need to be having these conversations with themselves. That's an eco chamber. And they've been, they've been living this for 400 odd years of, of slavery and discrimination. And the same is true for women. If, we, if we're going to talk about gender equality and gender equity, we need men to be having these conversations. And this is so important why, as you know, like I was really, um, I, 
was very what's the word active let's say active I was very active on WhatsApp with you and and our good buddy Rob Moore saying you it, you guys have platforms and it's your audiences probably even more than my audience who needs to have these conversations because they probably feel like you do they don't know and they don't know what to say or what to do and actually they look to you as an example so if you can lead and say look I don't know what to say or do but I know that saying nothing isn't the answer. So I'm prepared to show up and be counter and I'm prepared to be knocked down. I'm prepared for someone to say, Nick, that ain't cool what you just said. Even if you didn't necessarily realize that what you said wasn't cool, you're like, okay, can you explain to me so I can learn? So I can, when you know better, you do better, mm. but you won't know better if we don't have these conversations. So it is something that I'm massively passionate about. I have a mixed race son. This is my daily life. And my my son is very light-skinned. I see how different he is treated because some people aren't sure. Is he Spanish? Is he Italian? Is he, they don't know what his mix is. And then he has darker skinned friends who are treated differently. They go into shops. Which one of the boys are the security guys watching? They're not watching Jet. They're watching his other friends. And that has nothing. The only reason that's happening is through discrimination. Is and and and, and the, the fact that people think that you know we, we we don't have this unconscious bias is just wrong. You only need to watch three 15, 16-year-old school kids go into a shop from different backgrounds and watch who they watch. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, that it it, it is largely unconscious. Um I remember we had a conversation, um, like I say, about a year, year, just over a year ago, probably. Um, and I was embarrassed when I realized that of then, I think we had probably 16, 17 people in our team that they're all white. And I'm like, and there is no way in the world that I would intentionally, consciously um, in, not employ somebody because of race or skin color. And what, what you helped me realize was that it's not just Nick in like how you recruit, but if somebody from different ethnic background comes to an interview in my team and sees that they're the only person that they probably, they might, they might for whatever reason, withdraw their application. So all of a sudden, like it was one of those where I realized this is not like me being a bad person, but I need to understand that this bias unconscious exists and then do conscious things yeah. to fix it. And that felt so weird to me. And it because, comes from, like you said, it comes from the inside. It comes from who, who do we employ in our team? Who yeah. do we employ as consultants? How many black business owners? Because there, you know, there, there are plenty of black businesses out there that we can employ. And how who do you put in your stages? Who do you invite onto your podcast? It's the whole thing. Like, like for me, it's like you can't be what you can't see. So it's our duty and our responsibility. I've always believed you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. There's no in-betweens. And we get to make a choice. And we won't always get it right. You won't always get it right. I won't always get it right. But I'm prepared. I'm here for the long run. So I'm prepared to take a hit on the chin if I make a mistake and say, okay, teach me so I can do better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think the big shift for me was realising that actually being conscious and deliberate about, by the way, this this is in all areas for me, it's who's on my stage, who uh, joins our team, what clients we work with and attract, like all of this. Um, actually, it was, it was quite a long time after we had this conversation. Um, I spoke to somebody about joining one of our masterminds 
And, and this is something that I've known quite a long time. And he actually said, he went, Nick, do you realize that in your mastermind literature, you don't have any testimonials or any, um, any pictures of any clients of yours from different ethnic backgrounds. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I just didn't realize that that had happened. I was like, we need to be conscious and deliberate and intentional about making sure that we show, um, you know, diversity in mastermind literature, in our events, in all these places, so that people feel that it's an inclusive, safe space. So um, it, it was funny that it took a number of things, conversation with you, conversation with this other guy, uh, for me to become like aware of it. I just wasn't aware. It wasn't, I was, it wasn't, I was consciously deliberately uh, uh, like, you know, being. But you're unconsciously biased. Correct. Because it, it, it didn't even appear on your radar. It did. Exactly. It wasn't like you looked at it and thought, Oh look, I've only got white coaches. Yeah. And that's okay. You just didn't see the fact that you had all white coaches. Yeah. And then you realized that that wasn't okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so look, I mean, um, and obviously these are the issues that are really important to you and, and I've learned so much from you on this, um, which I'm really grateful for. But I think that the, the, the message here as well is how it's important... It's good for business. Can we talk about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Right, I, yeah, I want to talk about why it's good for business. I want people to understand that, that, that making changes in how we operate isn't a checkbox exercise. I can tell you for a fact that there are two women in my highest level mastermind who specifically came to me because of how I stand up and speak out about yeah. things. Both of them are non-white. I, I launched a new program in April called Empowered, and it was a six-week program, and we had eight coaches who ran small cohorts. Five out of the eight coaches were non-white. And so many people reached out to me to say that it was the first time they'd seen that on anyone with a high profile that was that, that was white themselves. And yeah. for me, I was like, but these are the best coaches I know, right? I haven't picked these people because, but, but the difference for me, I feel, and maybe because I've been, this is something that's been important to me for many, many, many years, is my social circles are very diverse. My friendships are very diverse. So for me to, to look out into my world, all I see is diversity. So it's not difficult for me to find coaches who aren't white, yeah. who are brilliant. I, I'm not having to, you know, I'm not having to search. They're already in my world, right? They're, they're, yeah. they're, half of them were, were previous clients and customers of mine. And so I just want that's to the point. It's self, it's self fulfilling, isn't it? Because you've been talking about it for so long, it is. You get, you get people from diverse backgrounds to become clients. Then, when you need to recruit coaches, guess what? You've got a pool of people to collect to, to select from, who which which is represented. And you already know well. how good they are. So I just want people to recognise that that you know I'm not doing this because it's good for business, but I want people to understand that it what it is, is business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is good for business. It. And it's not just good for business because you think, oh, well, that's good for business because now I can target this demographic. No, because it's good for business for people like me who will spend a lot of money on things. But I want to know that these things are important to you because it's, it's not about being good for business on a superficial level. It, it, it you know, it goes all the way through. Yeah, and, for, and for me, for me, massively it's, under underestimated. For me, the way the way I think about it is, I go, it's the right thing to do. And guess what? 
it's bloody good for business as well. What a bonus. Like, that's not the reason you should do it, but it's a nice, you know, it's not that it's not good for business, I guess. No, absolutely. And that's, that's, that is the, the premise that a lot of people have operated on. They've operated on the premise that it's not good for business to be political, that it's not good for business to stand up for things that some people feel are political. Although I'm going to tell you straight, the fact that Black Lives Matter, that is not political. It's a fact. And it has nothing to do with all lives matter. If if all lives matter, we wouldn't be having this issue is the reality. And so for me, it, it's just understanding that we should be reflecting the world in which we live in. And that's it. Yeah. And, and actually, it should become a time, Nick, where this isn't even a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the point, isn't it? I think, you know, the fact that it was and is now even still, uh, you know, 18 months down the line, still a big conversation. And unfortunately, probably will be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years time. Um, you know, but look, all we can do is keep talking about it. I guess the, the this whole section, obviously, hopefully it's been, uh, you feel it's been a great platform. Can I just add one thing share. in? Yeah, I just want to add one thing in, because you have got, in my opinion, one of the best women in the industry in your seven-figure mastermind, Susie Ashworth. Okay. Also happens to be a black female, and I think this is massively important because she has done extraordinary things in a short period of time. She's running a significant seven-figure business, most likely to double next year. And actually, I wouldn't be surprised if you track people in your mastermind. She doesn't end up being in the top five of those who've grown the most in the period of time she's in oh. there. Oh no, no question. She's absolutely been unbelievable. She's been you know working with us for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, spoken at our events, as you know, um, Shah. And I think, you know, like, yeah, it, it's great. I think it's great for us, for our industry to see, um, you know, we've spoken about this a lot. Period. There aren't many women who are operating in our industry, you know, coaches, speakers, et cetera, who are operating seven-figure, multi-seven-figure businesses. That's just a fact. There aren't. Yep. Now, there are a load of reasons for that, but we should also go, well, what can we do to create more opportunity so that it evens the field a bit? And, and look, you know, I think um, it is, uh, it's great to see people like yourself and Susie winning. And there are many others, of course, you know, uh, that have spoken on stage at our events as well. So, but I think the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you, as well as it being a great platform and uh, opportunity for you to share what's important for you is that I think Everyone, if you want to build a personal brand, if you want to um, really make a big impact, you should be sharing the stuff that's important to you, regardless of what that might be. Like share what's important to you, you know, share the social issues that are important to you. Share, like you, you talk a lot, Shah. I always see whenever there's a big boxing match, because I'm a big boxing fan as well, you always post and comment on social. And it's like, and obviously, you know, we're recording this on what are we the Monday the 11th of October it'll probably be released in the next couple of weeks and um, Tyson Fury just beat Deontay Wilder unbelievable fight and but but I love that you comment on that stuff because A of course you know the industry you you know you, you were in boxing from a very young age and B like it kind of I love how it kind of surprises people that don't know you. They're like, what the, she doesn't, how, how does she know all about this? But, but what surprises people you. the most, yeah, what surprises people the most is the depth of conversation I can have around boxing. I am not getting into a debate with you about boxing. I've been, a, I've been a boxing fan since I was a kid. I used to get up at silly o'clock in the morning when I was like 12, 13 years of age to watch like Prince Nassim Hamed fighting in Vegas. 
but I still wouldn't get in a debate with you about boxing. And I definitely wouldn't get in a fight with you. That is for sure. But that's probably, that's probably good advice. <laughs> Being pro-female does not make you anti-male. Being pro-black doesn't make you anti-white, right? Yes. Some of my favorite clients are men. That's a fact. I love working with guys. Like, I come from a boxing background. I come from being the only woman in the industry. So I love talking about boxing. And, and, and I love all the analogies that we can draw from fights. Right? To me, Tyson Fury is... Actually, he he would be my my two favorite podcast guests if I could just magic them out of thin air. Who do you think they'd be? Well, Fury definitely. Um, see, I don't know if you're a big Joshua fan. I don't know. Um, so I'm going to guess and say. See, I was going to go Ali, but don't know if he's if... non-boxing. But they're both oh. men. But they're both yeah, men. Yeah. One would be Tyson Fury because I just think the the how he was able to turn his life around the way he did. I mean, he was so far gone. Any of us who are having a bad day, a bad month, a bad year, you need to just go and listen to his podcast with Joe Rogan, which is, I think, like two hours long. And you need to remind yourself who you are and what you're capable of. But the yeah. second person, actually, he Tyson well, Fury... By the way, I read his book when I was away um, on holiday recently, and it's incredible. It's um, phenomenal. Really, really great story. And um, by the way, I'm going to take this opportunity to plug um, another one of our good friend's podcasts, Paul Mort. His podcast is called Paul Mort Talks Shit. And in episode one, I think it was, he had Tyson Fury. How did he do that? Anyway, we can pick that up after. We'll talk about that separate. We'll talk privately about how he came because I know you want to get Who's the other one? Who's your other dream guest? So my first, so Tyson Fury is my second one. My first one is Curtis Jackson, otherwise known as Fifty. Ah, yes, of course. I am such, who is also a really big boxing fan. And ironically, I have a picture of him holding this book. And uh, I met him at an event. And he, you know, one of those days when everything goes to plan and he opened it up and he opened it up on the, the page where there's a, uh, Muhammad Ali picture and he was asking me about it and when he found out about my boxing background that was it I had him for half an hour he right. had me on the phone with his book agent he tweeted about it we sold 3,000 books in I think just a couple of hours because he tweeted oh. about it but again the reason I love Curtis Jackson is because he's just an enigma he's like a proper icon like this man has made more money from understanding business than he's made from his music yeah. now look at him Look at him with power, with Black Mafia family. Look at him with the whole power series. You know, oh, what, what a show. What a show that is, by the way. Raising Canaan. But here's what is fascinating about him, Nick. And, and, and this is why I love, you know, I love the fact that I can talk to you about women's issues and race issues, but then we can talk boxing. And this, this we shouldn't be put into boxes. What I love about Curtis is that one of my friends out in the States, she said to me, she said, you won't believe what how he's handled the TV stations, right? So he has managed to end one season of Power Book. And as soon as that season ended, the next program coming on, Black Mafia Family, which is also a Curtis Jackson production. He's gone from music to literally owning this particular genre on TV, on stars and well, look, I mean, Rob, our, our very good friend, Rob Moore, talks about it all the time. You're a me you are a media company. You are not a speaker, rapper, footballer. You are now, in today's day and age, like you want to build an empire. That's the name of this podcast, Empire Builders. You're a media company, like whether you like it or not. And he's done and that. If you want to really do that, well. I highly recommend, like, put my books aside. 
go and read Curtis Jackson's Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. And for those of you who don't like the word hustle, get over yourselves. It's not about trying to hustle other people. It's about hustling yourselves. And it's not about working 24-7. It's about being smart. And he talks in it uh, at length about so many great aspects. If you haven't read it or listened to it, Nick, you'll absolutely freaking love it. I haven't. I just wrote it down in my notes. Oh, it's just so good. He he talked about when he had a deal with vitamin water and vitamin water wanted to pay him, like, I think it was like a hundred grand to do an ad. And he said, I don't want the money. I want a point. And for those of you who don't understand what that means, a point is I want equity. So he did this deal with vitamin water, which by the way, it's never been public, but it was worth hundreds of millions of dollars to him personally, because he took equity in return. Like that's a smart that's a badass move. It's, it's a smart move. It's a big move, but also, it, and again, that I didn't realize we were going to go in this direction, but it's, it's a, no, no, but it's a long-term move. It's not yes. a quick book. Most people would say, yes, you need 100 grand um, and I'll do, you know, a day's worth of shooting for commercials and then, then that's it. Then vitamin water goes and becomes massive and he's still only got 100 grand. But it's a long-term play, not a short-term play. And not enough... By the way, I was guilty of this for so long. I was so short-term in my thinking. And it cost me so much. And now I've certainly changed that. And I want people to understand, make no mistake, because there'll be people listening who think, well, that's a first-world problem. That guy can afford not to take the 100 grand. Do you know how many people in his position, how many famous rappers and musicians would have taken... Or sports people would have taken the 100 grand? 99% of them would have taken the quick money, even if they didn't need it. But, but also, that's, a smart play. That's, but, that's creating generational wealth. He's creating the kind of money that's not for his kids or even his grandkids. He's creating a legacy for generations to come. But sure, it's all relative. So you go, right, he got offered 100 grand, and you go, well, that's a first world problem because he could afford to turn down 100 grand. I'm like, yeah, but you might not be turning down 100 grand, but you might be turning down a grand right. or yeah. five. And yeah. in exchange for the smart play, ask yourself, Okay, how can I take less now, but more in the long term? And you know, and and uh, like you say, create generational wealth. So it's different. It's a different mindset, and it took me a long time to get my head around that to start thinking longer term. I definitely left a lot of money on the table um, by being short term in my thinking. Um, and I think you know uh, that's a great example of. Um, having a different mindset, which, you know, hopefully the people listening can think now about their current situation and go, right, how could I, in effect, leave a hundred grand on the table in order to make multi-millions? How could you leave, you know, a grand or five grand on the table in order to create a hundred grand or 200 grand in the next 12, 18 months, two years, whatever it might be. It's a bit like crypto right now, right? So some people are all so hot over crypto. They're like, you know, everyone remortgage your house and put it all into crypto. Like I don't buy into that person. Just one, I'm not an IFA just for the record. But (laughs) what I buy into, I I call it, I call it like my, my takeaway money. So I think like, what would I spend in a week on takeaways? 50 quid? Could easily spend 50 quid a week on takeaways. Okay. So that money, once it's spent, is gone. I don't, you know, I don't feel any benefit from it. In fact, I probably just like like put on weight. So let me take my takeaway money and let me do dollar averaging into crypto. So every week when the market's up, when the market's down on the same day, 50 quid goes out of my account. It's a bit more than that, but the point is the same. And invest into crypto for the long run. I'm not looking at trading crypto. I'm looking at investing money that I can afford to lose. And in 10 years time, I'll see where I'm at. I will either have lost it all or I'll be a gajillionaire, one or the other. (laughs) Well, and um, the point is... I won't put on weight for my takeaways. The point is, if you'd have spent it on takeaways, you definitely would have lost it. Exactly. That's a guaranteed loss. Exactly. 
exactly. So that's how I look at it. All of us have disposable income that we spend on frivolous shit that doesn't actually give us any benefit. So for those of you who think, well, I don't have any spare cash to do that, you do. You all do, even if it's five quid a week. Yeah. And it's all relative. Like, you know, like you said, it might be five quid a week for somebody listening to this right now. It might be a hundred quid a week. It might be a thousand quid a week. It doesn't actually matter what it is. It's the principle of getting yourself into good habits of managing your money and your long-term wealth generation, not just the quick fix. Yeah. And, And I know we've got to cover all of our overheads and that's first and foremost, but start to get smart with how you're thinking about your money in your future. Yeah. Yeah. And and I wish I'd learned that lesson a long time ago. I was so short term. um, And, you know, uh, honestly, I was probably um, uh, incapable of um, delaying the gratification. So I just, you know, I'd spend the money that I did have on nice stuff. And then, of course, um, you know, you're constantly in feast and famine and um, it's much smarter to wait and then get to the point when you can afford to, as you've said, put you know what, however much a week into crypto or invest, you know, in, in investment properties. Um, like I've can, been I share t- can I just share, share a tip for anyone who's a parent because this is something I share all the time, and so many people, yeah. so many people have never heard this. Um, lots of people start to put money away for their kids into savings, but that savings money isn't going to make you know anything, like nothing. Yeah. I don't know if you remember Jill Fielding. She was in our space before our time, but she was one of the one of the leading, not just women, but she was one of the leaders in the space, teaching property, teaching finance. I went to one of her seminars before I was even pregnant, and she shared this story about how you can set up a pension for kids. And for whatever reason, it stuck in my head. So from the day Jet was born, I set up a pension, and every month since he was born, I put the maximum that you can put in, and the government has to contribute. So you put in money and the government puts in their contribution. They won't put in a contribution to the savings plan. So right now, my son sits on a pension plan at 15 of just shy of £100,000. That's insane. And the government have contributed 40% to that. Nice. And you just started doing that about 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's that, it's that, you know, and I think, look, it's, it's but about... if you don't know about it, if you don't know about these things... Get educated. Uh, but this is why these conversations are so important. You know, I could talk all day long about wealth generation and, and generational wealth, whichever way you want to flip it, because really it's the, the, the way that historically the rich have got rich, and I'm talking about the upper middle classes have got rich, is because of handed down generational wealth through, you know, through, um, through inheritance. And having the knowledge that you can set up a pension for your kid. There's very few people who grew up on a council estate like me who ever had anyone tell them that you can set up a pension for your kid. Yeah. No one. So if you don't have the knowledge, you you, you can't do better because you don't know any better. Yeah. Listen, um, Sorry. we could I literally know, talk. Miracle, right? <laughs> we could literally talk all day and, and often do. Um, but look, hopefully um, everyone found this episode useful, valuable, interesting. I certainly did. Check out two things that I'd recommend you do. Um, one, Shah's podcast, it's amazing. It's called Building a Bigger Table. Check that podcast out, subscribe to it, download, listen to some episodes. Um, if you bump into Tyson Fury or Curtis Jackson, tell them that they should get on that podcast with Shah. And also go to shah.com. Um, 
which is Shah's brand new website. That's S-H-A-A.com. I so wish that I could get Nick.com. So jealous that you've got such a unique name that Shah.com was available. But um, go to Shah.com. a lot of money, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, I wonder how much Nick.com will cost. Oh, more money than Shah.com. I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, so go to Shah.com, check out Shah's brand new website. And uh, yeah, I'll keep an eye out because um, she's got a new, you said you've got your 10th anniversary book coming yep. out. Yep. That's coming out soon. Yeah, that's coming out soon as well. And uh, we will be uh, launching next month a new book program to help people uh, get their books written, published and working for them. Cool. Maybe we'll get you back on to talk about that um, and more about books specifically. Um, And I'm sure we'll be doing some stuff for our community about it. So, you know, we'll probably do a webinar or something to let people know about the course and everything like that. So, Char, thanks again for joining. Um, Lots of love. Speak to you soon. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And uh, remember, more we connect, more we collect. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.